Hey, movie lovers, welcome back for another Anatomy of Movie. Today, we dissect Black Panther, Ryan Coogler's latest film, so stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. I am very honored to talk about this movie, and I'm also very honored that for those of you who follow Popcorn Talk, you will, of course, know her. She's one of the hosts of Marvel Movie News and a, a host of AfterBuzz TV's Monday Night Raw, Makia McCarty. Yes, absolutely. I love uh, you already do the shows. You're like, yes, I know her. And yes, I'm Markia. Hello. <laughs> That's right. We've not had the privilege of co-hosting together, I believe, unless yeah. my memory is incorrect. I don't believe we have yet. So, you know, what a great first for us to do it with. Absolutely. <laughs> for those of you joining the show for the very first time, welcome. We appreciate you. Uh, I imagine a lot of you are here because you love Marvel and you love Black Panther. Uh, so I do want to take this opportunity to say, hey, hit that subscribe button, and then you'll be subscribed to both of our shows on Popcorn Talk. Yes. So that's a big bonus. If you're returning, welcome back. We, we appreciate you returning to us. A um, couple of things to note. We assume that you've seen the movie, and especially with a movie like this, you should definitely... You go see the movie. Yes. Go see the movie if you haven't seen it. Believe me when I say... Uh, it's kind of like, okay, anybody that has a thing where they have FOMO, you know, like where they feel they're going to miss something, you will miss everything if you don't see this movie. So I very much, just go to a matinee. You know, if you're worried about price or you're worried about crowds, go to like a Sunday matinee, like 10 a.m. in the morning and enjoy the movie. That, this is one of those movies you want to support regardless. Like I know a lot of people, you know, I... I I've seen it twice. I've been lucky to see it twice. And you know what? Just go. Support this movie. Um, but it's also a way of saying that we're spoiler-filled. So if you haven't, <laughs> you've been warned. Uh, and last of all, in terms of the administrative stuff, you can check out our rundown in the description box. There's a PDF. You can click it and get all of our notes. We're going to talk about most of them, but we don't get to every little detail. It's there for you if you want it. As we do on this show, we start with overall impressions. And so I want to kick it to you for the overall thoughts on this movie. Okay, well for me, I felt like this movie was epic on a level that we not only deserved by this point, but it was a way that on the level that we earned it by this mm-hmm. point. Because uh, keeping in mind we're like 18 movies in for like the MCU universe starting in 2008 with Iron Man, and here we are 2018 and we have you know Black Panther. This movie is a cultural cornerstone i very much feel that in the same way that star wars was uh back when i mean original star wars not necessarily the prequels are the uh, uh episode eight and seven and so on and so forth so the way that people have turned out for this movie the way that people are discussing it online people that have never even come across the mcu ever before are cosplaying as characters like cosplaying as people from coming to america cosplaying as people from wakanda and in black panther itself and are going to this movie this this movie is so incredibly well done it's almost ruined other movies for me interesting Hmm. yeah i i appreciate it whenever i go to a marvel movie i try to see it as a movie not just a superhero movie and oftentimes whether it's marvel or dc 
you know, the, the, I have to kind of contextualize it to, okay, was it a good superhero movie? Mm-hmm. This I can take and say, you know what, the, as a movie, it, it far exceeds a lot of great things. It has a fantastic villain, which a lot of movies don't. And it has a lot of development. Um, you know, it, it, we on this show in particular, we talked about uh, how Three Billboards was was a messy movie, not in terms of the way it was, but but in terms of trying to come up with, okay, what, what's um, what's the black or white type of situation? You know, how do you, how do you figure out what's right and what's wrong? And what I love about this movie is it plays that same gray area in terms of morals, mm-hmm. and I am so conflicted. And as you know, one of the larger contacts that I was talking about with a couple of my friends, um, whether it be Daryl Kristen who lun- runs Black Hollywood Live or so forth, I said to him, like, I really appreciate this movie, but Wakanda's a fantasy at the end of the day. <laughs> what is there that exists in the real world that you guys can now look to? Um, you know, and he said, I don't know. That's it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. That's the weird part. It's great to have this fantasy, but it still is a fantasy. And I'm, I'm just kind of fascinated by – I'm fascinated and conflicted by sort mm-hmm. of how great the movie is and what it's doing. But also, you know, I want more as yeah. well. Well, something with Wakanda is that it's um, untouched by colonialism. So that has a lot to do with it being a fantasy. Now, I believe there's very, very few countries in the world that – have been untouched by that. I think there's like maybe one in Africa. I have to read up on that. But with that coupled together with the Afrofuturism, um, the feeling that there's a place for everybody and everybody has a place type of thing that Wakanda does. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, Shuri, for example, she's basically, she looks like she's a teenager. I believe they went teenager with um, this uh, rendition of Shuri. And She's the leader of the Wakandan design group. She's also a princess. She's also saucy and she's STEM through and through, very intelligent, brilliant to the point where she's, yeah, she could give Tony Stark a run for his money. Well, I did appreciate because the producer said, like, in particular, she not only matches Tony Stark, but can actually exceed him. Yeah. And I thought that was a cool perspective on it. And this is that. Teenager age, so it's that's just going to be. Imagine her, Tony Stark's age. Hopefully, not cynical and drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By that point, but uh, my my point being with this is that to have a type of community where someone can shine and be supported and shining is basically look at what happens when we get out of each other's way. Mm-hmm. And I see that as being what Wakanda is, which is also why it's a fantasy, <laughs> but. It's also something aspirational. We can strive for this. Absolutely. So let's take it back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we talk about a lot of these movies, and especially comic book movies, the sort of their development is years in the making. This one going back to all the way to 1990, 
um, with Wesley Slipes wanting to make it. And, of, and of course, he got to do a different Marvel movie with, with the Blade Trinity. Indeed. Uh, so, hey, and that exploded out the universe for us. If we did. didn't have If we didn't have Blade, we might still have, you know, bat nipples and, you know, campy <laughs> Howard the Duck 3 or something. <laughs> Absolutely. You're not wrong there. Um, but due to, you know, both creative differences and ultimately just the technology um, it, it would have been very bad if you basically had a costume with cat ears for Black Panther as your first, you know, big movie uh, coming into it. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad, as as though we had to wait, I'm glad it was worth the wait. Yeah, we we had to wait for, yes, the technology to be there. Not only that, but the cast. I mean, Wesley Snipes is Wesley freaking Snipes. He's amazing, you know. Uh, but... Yeah, we had to wait for the cast that would be around him. We had to wait for the director. We had to wait for the writer that would be able to give us this script. And unfortunately, that just wasn't really a possibility back then. So I'm very happy that it didn't happen back then. I'm glad that we have it now. Some people have said that it's like, you know, maybe a little too late at this point. It's like just getting this now. But I'm the camp of finally, yes, thank you, please more. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then there was an extensive search to find someone who could sort of lead this vision, knowing that what the movie could be, and especially when, since Marvel has an amazing track record at, at the point, you know, they're really coming to fruition in terms of making this movie, yeah. whether it was F. Gary Gray or um, even Ava du, Duvernay. Duvernay. That's, um, you know, so they went through, and I... Fortunately, F. Gary Gray went on to do Fast and the Furious, mm-hmm. um, a completely different franchise, but a, a great franchise for yes. my money. <laughs> also um, an event that people, they turn out for. The absolutely. numbers don't lie. <laughs> no, they don't. Hey, listen, I'm right there opening weekend every weekend. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and But as far as Ava, you know, she, we're going to be talking about her movie, A Wrinkle in Time. She decided from a very early point that, uh, you know what, maybe this isn't for me. It's not the vision that I want to create. And rather mm-hmm. than go down a path where, you know, we uh, it builds to something more, um, let's just say, you know what, it's, it's not the right time yet. And yeah. so I appreciate that perspective. And ultimately, we go with Ryan Coogler. Exactly. It's kind of like, um, like right now in news, um, Joss Whedon stepped down from doing Batgirl, where it was just like he you know, has spent time with it and was like, you know what, I don't have the story that this needs right now. This just this just isn't going to happen. So I'm, on the one hand, uh, yes, I want an Ava movie in the MCU. And then on the other, she's an awesome director. She will be around. <laughs> uh, we could easily, if we're going to end up having, I don't know, a Lady Liberators or an A-Force or who knows in the future, uh we have a Thor 4 or a Valkyrie single movie or a Storm solo movie. There's a, a wide range that Ava might be able to do. So I'm, a, I'm A-OK because Ryan Coogler's vision was so complete. It was like an open love letter to, um, to not only childhood him, like growing up in Oakland kind of childhood, but also to anybody who's... Anybody who fantasizes, basically. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this. Since you do Marvel movie news, can you take yourself back to that time when you sort of heard the announcement that he (laughs) was the director? And A, what did you sort of know about him in terms of his style of filmmaking? What did you think about it? And then, Mm -hmm. you know, what was 
what is your thoughts on, okay, he's the director? Yeah. Uh, when I had her, I knew, I knew him as the director for a Fruitvale station and, um, that he, I, I remember thinking he's so good at character. He's so good at character. He's good at, um, humor when you don't expect it, but then also kind of <laughs> just ripping the rug right under your feet and, and making you think on the way down. Mm-hmm. So I remember thinking that, um, I also remember thinking, would he be able to do like a really big budget, like huge movie like this? Um, and then being like, oh, they give they give people with uh, less credentials, huge movies, he'll be fine kind of a thing. I did think that it would probably be more male dominated. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember thinking that. And even though there were the Dora Milaje in there and very pleasantly surprised that it was just everybody was fully actualized characters. And I don't see how they could have had anybody else do this movie at this time and have it make as big of an impact if it wasn't for Ryan Coogler. Here's what I appreciate about him in terms of his steps. He he went went from Fruitvale to Creed to Mm -hmm. now this. So it's a very healthy albeit even somewhat of a, a expedited progression in terms of movies, but you can see, you know, from one to the next to the next, he's taking those stepping stones and building upon what he learned from the last movie. Yeah. Uh, and based on that, he's every movie he learns quite a bit because they're, they're all really successful in their own right. And then what I appreciate about him, he had such a natural passion for Black Panther to begin with. Mm-hmm. So he had that to bring to the table already so it wasn't like he had to immerse himself in that world and be like okay i'm gonna go for this no there no. was a, that natural passion he grew up with it and then the um the story that uh he and uh, joe robert Poole, i believe it's joe joe robert Poole, yeah. uh came up with it was what it needed to be i mean they did consider other characters to like put in there like i believe craven was uh, a possibility <laughs> in there before and uh, you see him in a well uh, when you read the uh, the comic books and the Christopher Priest run, Craven <laughs> shows just shows up, you know, as villains are wont to do. So I I'm glad that Craven didn't make it in this one, but you know we're probably going to have another two Black Panthers to look forward to. There's plenty of time for Craven and perhaps Victor Von Doom, so if the you know Disney and Fox deal goes through all the way. We'll certainly oh, see. Something that I thought was very interesting when you were talking about the progression of Ryan Coogler. Um, when he was 21, he he there was this picture that this was online where he, you know, basically did an affirmation, like a statement that he was going to have his movies play at this particular cinema um, in uh, San Francisco. I believe it was the Hilltop Cinema. And feel free to correct me if I'm wrong on that. And people were posting online with their tickets that said, you know, the movie theater on there where Black Panther was playing Mm -hmm. like most of the theaters in that one particular movie house. So I thought that was incredibly powerful. It's like 21 year old Ryan Coogler and a picture of him with like dreads. uh, It was either dreads or braids. And I was like, wow, you did it. You really did it. And thank you. And he did it. He what? He's 30. If that. 
right? Yeah, I guess around there. On the tip there. of 30. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's incredible. That, that's incredible for any director, let alone, you know, a director of color. And th- mm-hmm. that's absolutely fantastic. And I give him a lot of credit there. And also, too, when you go into the Marvel Universe, there's a lot of masters you have to serve. Not mm. that that's a bad, I'm not saying that in a negative way, but it's, you obviously have to service, as you mentioned, now 18 movies and figure <laughs> out how this contextually fits into it. Mm-hmm. And despite all of that, he's able to take that idea and really just say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm still going to fit within that, but I'm going to really tell my story un, unencumbered of that. And he yeah. does. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it fits, you know, you've done something right when you have used characters from somebody else's story in such a magnetic way that you then change the story that will happen behind you because you made such a great impact. And I remember uh, Kevin Feige and I forget the other person, maybe it was Josh Gad, mm, uh, where they were just raving on and on about Black Panther, about what that it was an event, that this was a very huge thing and that it would impact everything behind it. Speaking to that, and this is kind of cutting to um, the ending a little bit, so we'll definitely backtrack, but I want to, the only thing that I thought about that was a misstep for me Mm. was taking that scene where he addresses the UN and putting it sort of after the initial credits. And granted, with a Marvel movie, yes, people stay and they're there longer, um, but I felt it was such a strong and powerful scene that that's what should have rounded out the movie. And, and to give context, the quote um, is, Wakanda will no longer watch from the shadows. We cannot. We must not. We will work to be an example of how we, as brothers and sisters on this earth, should treat each other. Now more than ever, the illusions of division threaten our very existence. We all know the truth. More connects us than separates us. But in times of crisis, the wise build bridges while the foolish build barriers. We must find a way to look after one another as if we were one single tribe. Mm. And I felt that was such a powerful message that I didn't want it just to be a throwaway. It wasn't necessarily a throwaway. I understand what you're saying, though. Uh, and I like that um, that part at the end. That's actually an old African proverb. So, oh, wow. Yeah, I yeah. I did not know there that was, part. There are so many layers that goes on with this movie. Um, I think at this point with, like, you know... <laughs> People have said, and it's kind of true, Marvel has a formula when it comes with their movies. You stay for certain parts of the credits where you get your mid-credit scene and you get your end credit scene. Um, And actually, it was kind of telling. um, I've seen it four times now. It was actually kind of telling um, people that would get up and leave where it's like, oh, you've never been to a Marvel movie before. Mm -hmm. Oh, hopefully you can catch this online. Which is still surprising because the way the credits they did it right usually whether it's a marvel movie or not if the credits are cool enough and there's graphics behind it i'm just captivated by that and i'll watch and you know listening to kendrick lamar and his song and just the way the visuals were i I would have stayed just for that alone if i didn't even know (laughs) yeah but um for but to address your your point uh i kind of saw it as a as a continuance you know, where you have, okay, here's the end of the movie, and then here are these gorgeous visuals, you know, where things are like shaped out of sand, and oh, you remember this, and here's Angela Bassett, <laughs> and everything like that. And then it's like, oh, wait, the story isn't over, because here here we're going to address, you know, Wakanda coming out to the world, kind of a thing. And then like, um, 
the thing that I, I really enjoyed about it was that one person at the UN that's like, you know, no disrespect, you know, King T'Challa, but what can a nation of farmers do for the rest of the world? And then the smile that T'Challa has and the rest of his, uh, uh, the, the Dora Milaje with him. And I thought that that was a really nice, like if people stayed up to that point, that was a really nice end for a movie for them. And then it felt like the end credits was for us, the Marvelites, yeah. where we know to stay. It's like, we know who this guy is. We know what this means for him to be deprogrammed, you know, kind of a thing. So movie for everybody, the mid credit scenes for, <laughs> you know, those that choose to stay and then the end for us. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, thanks for explaining that. Well, that's just my opinion. Yeah, was, <laughs> totally yeah. just my opinion with it. Well, speaking of opinions, uh, for those of you watching or listening, you guys can certainly comment along. We like to get the conversation started, but by no means mm-hmm. is it one and done over. You guys get to participate, and we like to respond and so forth. Yeah, and it appears that uh, Ryan Coogler is 31. Well, it was, yeah. was very close. <laughs> yeah, very. I, I would have guessed 30 also. Um. All right, so one of the things I, you know, I highlighted and I want to talk about is the protagonist slash villain. Ah. I can't take credit for this, but uh, if you really look at Eric Killmonger and sort of how he's contextualized, he's essentially no different than Batman in the sense mm. that he loses his parents, he searches for answers, and decides to seek justice in the world for what has been done to him and everyone else. Ooh, so kind of like a... Um a Batman that a very loose morals Batman kind of well where Mm. I'm going with it is that it's the reason why I love Black Panther is because it is that gray area of it's not like oh this guy just wants to uh, destroy the world and he's so singularly dimensional Mm -hmm. no he's he's a very three-dimensional character and he's fun to watch and and I I do get lost and wait who's the good guy (laughs) yeah um the character of Eric Kelmonger, well, for one, I think Marvel, if they haven't solved their villain problem, you know, doing uh, quotations on that, then they did with Eric Kelmonger. I, I think they pretty much did with Kilgrave. Uh, and what I mean by their villain villain problem, where it's just like, a, you just have like something like a Age of Ultron, where, where he's like, he's just, he's just stomping around. Uh, he sounds like Tony Stark. Why is he trying to take down Tony Stark, but he's envious of Tony Stark and, oh, explosions, you know? And then you get Eric Killmonger, where it's so nuanced, where it's like, yeah, he's right. He's right, but he's so wrong at the same time. He, his uncle killed his father. He had to grow up he was abandoned, knows about Wakanda, and he has to grow up knowing about that, knowing that Wakandans, you know, because he had, you know, panther claws in the chest, knowing that they caused this, and that turns him around into, like, this, I'm going to say it's a beautiful, like, black mirror reflection of T'Challa himself. And that, he was a layered villain. The, the fact that he used claw basically as a key to get into Wakanda, that's brilliant. The way that he utilized everything that he'd been taught in his life of being an American black ops uh, operative, 
And then using that to destable, take over Wakanda to then take over the world. I mean, that's magnificent. And then the way that he was going to go about it, it was like, you know, I understand where you're coming from. I can't say that you're all the way wrong, but this isn't the way to do it. Like uh, the character Nakia had a nice parallel with um, Eric Killmonger, um, played by Lupita Nyong'o. Uh, Nwango. And she wanted to do, you know, what we ended up doing, Wakandan outreach, you know, let's um, share resources, we can do it better, kind of a thing. Well, he was like, well, the sun will never set on the Wakandan Empire. And wow, that's just like, wow, wasn't that a parallel to the sun will never set on the British Empire? Yeah. Yeah. So that, and you can see that society, you can see Wakanda basically holding the world hostage and being like our way or, you know, or the highway. It's like, and where are you going to hide? So I, I very much enjoyed this villain. I mean, I wanted him to stay. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me, like um, Umbaku is, is kind of a middle ground between the two because... Uh, at least the way in doing, reading about him and how they want to kind of go into him, he respects the traditions of the past, but but in order, because that's what's going to propel them forward. Um, and so when when you when you look at uh, Killmonger, the fact that he burns everything, yeah, he's destroying tradition and you know essentially his birthplace and and. You know, uh, this this is a question. Ultimately, what, I, I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about when he when when Killmonger is looking out into the sunset because, as you mentioned, the sunset was a big visual reference and mm. me, um, thematic. I feel that he's trying to repent and be like, "Oh, what have I done?" Going back oh. to the idea that wow, I've burned down the one place that you know, like now it is truly so beautiful, and yet he has that ultimate last line of. I'd rather die, you know, because no different than uh, the people, you know, being taken across, the, the smart ones jumped off the ship rather yeah. than being enslaved. And I was like, oof. Yeah, that was uh, the most powerful line. Uh, and once he said that, you you knew he wasn't coming back because that that's an exit line. If there was ever an exit line um, and such a hard hitting thing to already bring when you have the death of such of such an interesting character happening. Uh, I don't know if it was repenting so much as, well, to me, it felt like, it felt like regret um, that he, that he wasn't able to do what he had spent his entire life focused on doing. So, the thing that really gets me with that is like um, one of his lines right before, you know, um, the sunset scene where he says about how his father had told him about Wakanda. And then the first time I viewed it, that's when I realized that the opening dialogue was actually between him and Sterling K. Brown's character um, um, in, in Jobu. Where it's like, um, isn't that isn't that stupid? Uh, an Oakland kid, um, you know, Uh, fantasizing and I was like oh my god you can fantasize all of you Oakland kids can all kids can and then right after that you go to that sunset scene where then T'Challa's like maybe we can still heal you 
And he's like, no, no, I feel like it's, he failed. He's not going to spend his life in a cage kind of a thing. And then couple that together with, uh, you know, bury me in the ocean with my ancestors, the ones that jumped off of the ship because they knew that death was preferable to bondage. Yeah. <laughs> it's heavy stuff. Heavy <laughs> stuff for a movie that also gave you, what are those? <laughs> but that's for what, instance. That's what makes it absolutely uh, just so so gripping and, and you know, what, what's needed. Um, the other part of it, you know, this is if if you're we're looking at villains and and protagonists, when when the final battle takes off, at first it's women versus men, and I was like, mm-hmm. holy shit, I can't <laughs> believe we're seeing this. Yeah, this is this is civil war. It, but this is not even well, it's civil war, but it's it's a gender war. I I, I couldn't grasp that. Yeah, because you had um uh, Wakabi's uh, I guess perimeter guards. Uh, versus the Dormelage. And not all of the Dormelage, just some of them. <laughs> and they were kicking their butts. Uh, they had to basically call on the war rhinos just to even it out. And even that, barely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, I mean, so much pride that one of the one of the powerful moments in that whole um, set piece was the idea of, uh, hey, you know, you you love me or your country. I love you. <laughs> But my country first. Yeah, in a second. I mean, uh, Okoye, uh, played by Denai Guerrera, uh, she was magnificent. And I have yet to run into a single person that doesn't have um, her name in their mouth when they're talking about things that they loved about mm-hmm. this movie. And she played such a like such a nice balance of being a staunch um, traditionalist. Where she's like, no, my my loyalty is to this throne. You know, when uh, Nakia was um, trying to escape with, um, I keep on wanting to say Angela Bassett, uh, Ramonda and Shuri. It's like, no, I have to, I have to uphold this new king. You know, he is our king, and I'm staying, kind of a thing. And then, but just all of the layers with her, where it's like. God, her her work with the spear, I was like, oh my gosh, yes, I want all of this. But then also, Ryan had her humor. Mm-hmm. I mean, her side eye was epic. I mean, if you just think of when they're going into, when they're in Busan, and they're going into um, the uh, South Korean gambling, you know, casino. Mm-hmm. And the way that she just looks at, uh, I, bl- I, I forget the name of the, the character that was right there. Maybe it was Mrs. Kim. Um, the way that she looks at her just before walking in, it's like these beautiful little choices, you know, develop out that character. So it's not only a fierce warrior, you see her as a fully actualized, you know, woman, warrior, uh, love interest because of her and Wakabi. And then value system. I love that you got her value system from this. Well, as, as far as her value system you know, when when you speak about she was loyal to the to the throne, mm. that's where the the mistake happened in terms of the guys in that battle. You know, she said the 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 bat the whatever the uh, the combat between mm-hmm. them is not over. So therefore, by rules, yeah, I have to be on T'Challa's side. Exactly, the challenge was not ended. It's supposed to be yield or death, and it was neither. And Wakabi made a choice. And the way that Ryan kind of set it up, 
you can almost understand with Wakabi. I'm sure there's a lot of audience that recognized with him. I couldn't. Um, well, as in, I was like, no, this is just a poor decision. Well, it was because, um, you know, with Claw, that uh, he had killed his parents. And Wakabi had been waiting for revenge with that for 30 years and never got it. And then the one chance that T'Challa had to definitely get a hold of Claw, he didn't. But then who does? Eric Killmonger arrives with Claw. And with that one act, he solidified the loyalty of Wakabi. So that says a lot about that character. I mean, stuff that we obviously couldn't see because there's only so much space that you have in this movie. So, but because of that, yeah, in a way, he he does turn his back on the ideals that Wakanda has stood for. But then also, when you think about it, those ideals of Wakanda betrayed him first. That is true. That is definitely true. And one of the things that's set up very nicely, uh, the first time he uh, T'Challa goes into the ancestral plane, and that sets up that, uh, it, it sets up the notion of be careful who you trust. And right off the bat, we're off to the races in terms of T'Challa's meeting with every one of his people that we're going to be in conflict with Mm -hmm. Uh, and him being one of them. And, you know, he gives him sort of his advice and so forth. And, and that's what I love is that it all, it's, it's very cyclical. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but, and yet the circle changes every time you go around, rotate once around it. That's what's so beautiful. Yeah. uh, This movie is very dynamic. It does progress forward. And, I can't think of a single time where it's just spinning his wheels or even like, you know, how movies have a bathroom break (laughs) kind of a thing. You kind of feel like you're going to miss something that's going to be brought back, Um, like it's going to be cyclic type of deal. And and that is fantastic that because, you know, that means nothing was ever wasted. Yeah, no, it's um, well, with the team that Ryan Coogler had with this. Um, everything from like writing to cinematographer of like Rachel Morrison um, being the the DP uh, to the production designer Hannah Beachler who is fantastic. I mean, if you love Lemonade, you love Hannah Beachler <laughs> for for instance. Uh, if you love Creed uh, with how it's set up, you love Hannah Beachler. Uh, and then also having um, the designer Ruth E. Carter. I mean, thirty plus years in the business, twice Oscar nominated, and the beautiful like uh it's it's like she took these beautiful parts of africa and then wove it together in this beautiful loving cloth that was wakanda like uh everything from like the mercy tribes um with um the color and the styles and and then even the even the necklace that okoye had on like that represents um status like um the more rings it's like everything was thought of it's like that's why I say that this entire movie is just it's just a love letter to Africa and to uh superheroes and and to just yeah, like I said before, getting out of each other's way and just letting people shine. And when when we talk about Wakanda in general, the fact that it's not just kind of a singular entity, the fact that you do have these different tribes that encompass this and you can each one of them has a different personality, each one has has, has a different look and representation um both physically and also uh, thematically i i truly appreciated that because it rounded off and unlike you know i when when you talk 
they speak a lot about the the influence of James Bond into kind of the the idea of how they were writing the story. Uh-huh. Well, that translates extremely well in terms of um, in terms of the technology, yes, but then also the the architecture of itself. I mean, in, in a sense, is that when we first enter Wakanda, it it in a way it almost reminded me of every single shot we've seen of going to London. You know, because you've oh, got the river, you've got the tall buildings, and you've got the helicopter moving in shot. Mm-hmm. It's just the, the the buildings were different. Yeah, they were rooted in that culture, but as far as grandeur, you know, that's what it reminded me of. Yeah, uh, I like that. Uh, something else that it reminded me of is that, uh, well, uh, Black Panther himself was uh, made by Stanley, and then like the first one run was uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby, and when you you know, read that run. And oh my goodness, uh, Kirby, he's just full Kirby, full Kirby all the time. You got to love that about him. Like one of the earlier stories that they have with Black Panther is like a him versus a Princess Zonda, who's one of the collectors. And they're going after Solomon's Frog, where it's this, uh, it, it just, let's just say it goes full Kirby. But when you continue with like the adventure and this like the, these Indiana Jones-esque adventures, it has these beautiful spreads that you would see like um, in the panels. And then when we enter Wakanda, like for the first time from the the hologram uh, force cover into boom, and then there you are into this beautiful mix of tradition with the future, with technology. And then seeing that spread, it just, that just seems like a beautiful like nod to Jack Kirby because that's something that you would see well, to me, that you would see in a Jack Kirby panel. So while Thor Ragnarok went full Kirby, like all the way, um, I like to think that there were instances like that in uh, Black Panther also. Yeah, the, I mean, as far as the sets, absolutely fantastic. The the, the rocks themselves where the, where the challenge happened. Uh, Warrior Falls. Four mm. months to construct, two weeks to <laughs> film. That's insane. Yeah, yeah. You might as well be like you, you, four months. You're building a house at that point, <laughs> and all for what? Just again, it, I mean, it, it obviously lasts in the movie, and so I appreciate that fact of it. But when you look at it from the practical standpoint, of it goes away right after that. It's that's insane. Yeah, that amount of work and detail. Yeah, it, and it was uh, it was very epic. I mean, with uh, what you were saying with like the different tribes having uh, their different themes, uh, that was very well presented in the Warrior Falls scene. I mean, you had a uh, the river tribe, for instance, which Nakia was a part of, and uh, they were mainly green. Like uh, you saw that with like the theme, and uh, then the other tribes were it's like um, uh, mainly in red. I believe it's some ochre that um, one tribe was in, and then you had the Jabari tribe, which um, they're the white gorilla cult, you know, and they were you know powdered white. I mean, everything they did each have like their own worlds, and you saw that all come together at Warrior Falls. I mean, nothing was wasted here, nothing, and I love it. No, not not at all. And what I appreciate, it's a very much show don't tell. I mm. we did none of us ever needed like. Hey, so these two guys, they're you know, he's going to be crowned king unless someone challenges him. It's just mm-hmm. you saw it, you understood it, and um, it's it's it's. I don't want to say it's a simplistic uh, society because I don't think it is, mm-hmm. but it's they were able to deduce it to its simplest form 
Because I think that's part, you know, it's a great lesson in general. I think people overcomplicate things. If you have an ability to simplify complex subject matters, mm-hmm. that's what makes you a true genius in most things. And so I give Ryan Coogler and everyone else that sort of was able to do that a lot of credit. Yeah. And then plus with that saying, uh, you do get Forrest Whitaker as Zuri going, and now I have stripped away <laughs> the powers of the Black Panther. I love how he says that. And uh, Twitter was like wild for it, too. Black Panther. <laughs> Fantastic. Right. Uh, could I ask you what may seem a naive question simply because I haven't done any research into it? And I don't know if you would even know the answer. Um, I'll do my best. Um, so as far as my understanding goes, Black Panther, the comic book, was created before Black Panther, the movement. Yes, and a what, few months before. What are the similarities and differences and um, kind of especially as it holds to today? Okay, well, uh, Black Panther came out. It, w- it was just a few months before um, the Black Panther um, political party that believed in social reform. Uh, and uh, actually, there was a knee-jerk reaction by Marvel that once um, that political party came out that they were like, oh, well, we can't call our character this anymore. And they actually started calling him Black Leopard. And there's even uh, there's even him talking to the thing uh, of the Fantastic Four, uh, Fantastic Four. And the thing's like, wait, what? You're calling yourself what now? It's like Black Leopard because I am I am a king on of my own, you know, kind of a thing. And it didn't make any sense. Really didn't. And it went away. <laughs> they realized that their audience was like, why are you doing this? We can tell the difference. This doesn't make any sense. And then he just went back to the moniker of Black Panther. So, but as far as uh, similarities, uh, keeping in mind that it really was just one of those coincidences. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I can see, well, because like Black Panther himself, and then this is something else that you uh, run into uh, when you spend some time with him uh, and Christopher Priest run and, and later where it gets into like um, sociopolitical issues and stuff with what it means to be Black Panther and how him being T'Challa being Black Panther affects the world around him. And yeah, once it gets to the point that Wakanda is doing outreach where they have centers where they're trying to do an exchange of technology and then also helping out, once it gets to that point, then yeah. I mean, him just existing as T'Challa is social reform. You know, there's a particular part of uh, the client, which is in the third run, uh, which is part of Christopher Priest's run. And in that... Uh, everybody, uh, he's he's going, he's you know glad handing um, and everything at this uh, at this party at this gala, and it leaks out that T'Challa is there. You know, he's like, oh wait, he's he's here, and, and there is this huge crowd of people that just shows up just to stand outside the building because T'Challa means so much to them, just the symbol of who he is. And it's like, and what is he? He's he's a king of a country, Wakanda. Um, this country that could take over the world if they wanted to, but they don't want to. They just want to, at that point, help, but still also be able to defend themselves. And that, and he's an ideal. I mean, when you, I mean, think about it. If you grow up somewhere where you are told 
either by words or just by society itself, that you are inferior, that you are worth less, that you won't amount to anything because you're basically a criminal, uh, inept, and also, you know, just you're you're unwanted. You're the other. And then you have somebody like T'Challa that exists, king of his own country, billionaire, like billion, trillionaire, and uh, that that is a shining light. That is a huge thing. I would be one of those people that's standing outside that building just for a glimpse of this aspirational figure that's true to life and is here to help. Like his moral compass is as strong as Batman's. I consider him Marvel's Batman. I'm both with technology and then with that moral compass. And yeah, it's a hell of a thing, Phil. <laughs> that it is. It, it, and you know what? I give a lot of credit to Marvel because in the end, it isn't the first time they've spoken to current events, whether hmm. you go back to Iron Man and, and what was happening in terms of selling arms and to terrorists and so forth. Indeed. So the fact that um, you know they're willing to take that challenge and, and create this social commentary and very current social commentary, it's mm-hmm. not like they, they're going back into time and pulling something. Uh, is, a, is a testament to what they're willing to do. I think yeah. that, that that speaks volumes. Yeah, I uh, mean, even in Civil War, I mean, pro-registration, anti-registration, I mean, that that was pretty strong thing. I mean, yes, it exists in the comic books, but that's a pretty strong thing to bring um, because of the parallels of what we go through. And I mean, that's as relevant now as it was when it just came out. I mean, when you think of uh, Dreamers now, and it's just... I like that Marvel hasn't had too much of a problem lately with um, pulling the punches when it comes to real conversations. No. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, I want to quote Ryan Coogler to describe the central theme of this. Um, and he says it's about responsibility and identity. Quote, what do the powerful owe those in need? It separates good guys from from the villains. What value is strength unless you're using it to help someone? Wakanda pretends to just be another struggling African country, but some of its neighbors are struggling for real. If Wakandans don't stand up for themselves, who will? But if they stand only for themselves, then who are they? And I thought that was a very powerful statement as well. Yeah, that is excellent. I like that. Um, so as we sort of go, well, um, Let's round out the sort of technical aspects, and then we'll, we'll round it out to more of the, the world and how it's affecting things. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the interesting things that I find about Ryan is that he doesn't use temp score. And I find this very intriguing because most people kind of fall. There's a term called temp love where a director falls in love with the score that's there and then the score that's created. Like It doesn't matter whether it's John Williams creating this score. Um, they're like, oh, that's not good enough. And part of that, though, in not using score, you have to have a lot of confidence in yourself in terms of how you're editing the movie because a lot of people use that temp score as a crutch to create a rhythm and so forth because they don't inherently have it. And so to cut a movie like this without a score to begin with to to give you at least that pacing, I think it's an incredible feat of who he is as a person to create that sort of rhythm. Yeah, it sounds like a, he knew exactly what he wanted the story to do and like the impact that it was going to make. So, yeah, I guess uh, in this case, he just he didn't need a, a, a Quincy Jones type, let's say. <laughs> yes. And 
as far as the actual score that ended up on on screen, first off, composed by a Swedish composer, which is incredible. But then using 500 instruments. I didn't know there were 500 instruments in the world, <laughs> let alone, uh, you know, that you, you would just pull in for this. And uh, ultimately, it had such a... No offense to other Marvel movies, but the score it, to me is kind of very throwaway, and there's not there's not mm. sweets and motifs and so forth. This was very recognizable to me. I could hear if the, someone played this at like whatever the supermarket or something. I don't know. Just uh, I would I, I would I would know it as the Black Panther score versus any other. Mm. You know, if I just heard like some dramatic music, well, that's cool, but I wouldn't recognize it as Captain America or whatever. Interesting. I kind of like that because um, like how you can um, instinctly like uh, remember John Williams or you'd be like, oh, that's a John Williams score. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm not even sure which movie it is, because uh, let's be honest, some of them are like, you can hum it. And uh, that's actually a game I used to play with people where it was like you would hum a John Williams score and then they'd have to mm-hmm. guess which movie it was from. That didn't didn't turn out like you would think it would. But yeah, I, I do. I do appreciate that. Um, with what you were saying, I didn't realize it was a Swedish um, composer uh, and everything like that. And yeah, uh, so looks like actually traveled to South Africa and really put in the work to get that, well, to get that flavor for this movie. I love that because that's on par with um, what we were talking about earlier with like the designers or what we're talking about with uh, like with the screenplay in general. They put the work in and you see that. Absolutely. And, and I, I also want to clarify, it's not distinct simply because it is uh, of African flavor. Mm-hmm. It's distinct because it uses all the techniques that a good composer should use to create reoccurring themes and so forth. Ah. You have that, you know, okay. uh, I'm so Ill- illiterate when it comes to like describing music, but you have that like sort of drum beat in, in mm-hmm. big sections or... Uh, whenever they're in the ancestral plane, it's a very intense moment. Yes, and we get similar sounds when when um, when T'Challa's in there, and then when Ryan Coogler's in there. So, mm-hmm. it, and, and but we see it from two different perspectives completely. Yeah, and yet the same score overall. And, and then I like the instances where they knew that the absence of sound would be to the best effect. Like, for instance, when um, Eric Killmonger and T'Challa are falling down the shaft of the vibranium mine and they're both, like, trying to beat the crap out of each other, all you hear is the noises and the breath while they're doing that fall until they actually hit um, the the bottom track. Yeah. So, like, for instance. Absolutely. Um all right, so let's let's expand this out and talk about the real oh, and and the Kendrick Lamar soundtrack is amazing. Listen to it, buy it. <laughs> it's just it uh, the the movie ends for, uh, All Star in particular, right? The movie ends on such a great scene of of that uh, mm. you know the spaceship comes in and so forth, and when that beat just comes in, it's just so poignant and and just feels so right. Yeah, to end that movie with. Yeah, yeah, it's because it's a, the way that I thought of it with uh with what Kendrick did uh, with this soundtrack is like what Prince would do, like with Batman, like um, <laughs> it set it up beautifully. I mean, I still listen to that soundtrack, you know, like on Prince Day. Um, there you go, <laughs> and yeah, there you go. Got the little, I like it. 
Yeah, so um, Kendrick knocked it out of the park with this. I I've, I know friends that haven't bought a CD in years actually went out and bought the CD of this. Wow. Yeah, I'm, and I'm like, well, like, I, if I'm getting it, I'm getting the iTunes. They're like, yeah, sure you can, but you need to have the CD for this. <laughs> there you have it. Get the CD <laughs> for sure. Um, all right. So as far as um, kind of uh, kicking it off, one of the things that I want to kind of start with, um, are, they're, they're calling it artisanal franchise filmmaking. Which I wanted to kind of get your perspective on before we talk about the the, the more poignant things of it, but but the idea that um, when you go into a franchise, and I sort of alluded to it earlier, where the director is like, okay, I'm going to make a good movie first and foremost, and not have to service a franchise. And I just kind of wanted to get your opinion because they cited like whether it's Last Jedi, and I forget uh, a couple of other. Let me pull up some other other stuff, but in particular, they're saying this one in terms of Marvel is like boom a director really putting his stamp of his vision rather than, oh, I'm fitting into a Marvel universe. Yeah. Well, yeah, Ryan Coogler definitely did that. But then, you know, um, uh, Taika Waititi did it also. I mean, when you look at the first two Thor films as opposed to the third one, it's it's like it's like a way to revitalize Thor, definitely. I was not a fan of, like, Thor Dark World, for mm-hmm. instance. Uh, there's some people that are. I'm not. <laughs> And when you reach Thor Ragnarok, it is completely different. And that is all Taika Waititi. I, uh, I, I have the Blu-ray and I've seen all of the uh, deleted scenes and extended scenes. And I, I have to say, you, you, you want to buy this Blu-ray. I was laughing my butt off at some of the scenes that they were doing. But um, one of them was uh, Taika Waititi's because he was Korg in it and him just having a back and forth of what it's like for the actor Taika Waititi to work with the director Taika Waititi and just from that one clip you see that yes you are Thor Ragnarok like everything that you are with all of these comedic instances and then also being able to deal with I mean it is it is the apocalypse of Asgard dealing with that in a humorous way in an enjoyable way. And then, you know, tossing Jeff Goldblum in there also. I mean, talk about making a stamp on something. This wasn't an assembly line kind of a deal. Um, yeah, and, and the other example, and this is a Marvel one, although it's outside of Marvel Studios, uh, mm-hmm. Logan. You know, they oh, said indeed. That, they talk about taking, oh, just being like, okay, I'm going to make my own sort of Wolverine movie as opposed to, all right, the typical X-Men type. Yeah, Fox just... Oh, they, they they kind of blindsided you with that and Deadpool. Talk about, you know, having an actual stamp on something. Yeah. And the audience responds to that. We don't want assembly line anymore. We don't want you to give us a property that you're trying to be under budget with and you treat the powers of your actual characters like they're hindrances that you have to get rid of and humans. Um, but it's like, yeah. The audiences have spoken with this. We we want to see somebody's strong point of view. That's what we want. We want that. We want actualized characters. We want to be able to relate to not only the heroes, to the villains, because that is what makes a great villain when they're right, but not really. They're so wrong. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, 
And what what was that term? Artisanal Artisanal franchise filmmaking. Artisanal franchise filmmaking. That yeah. is so Brought to you by the LA Times. Interesting. That's like saying um, you know, boutique films. <laughs> <laughs> They're they're coming up with all types of things, but uh, the more important thing is just that from a box off perspective, the the records this thing is breaking. Mm. There's there's no stopping this thing. Over two hundred million in the first, and I'm just counting three days out of the four day weekend. Over two hundred million. So it had um, what is the fifth biggest opening in in history. So it's like wow. That is amazing. That thing in, 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 on the Friday, it made more money than most movies will ever make opening weekend. And I'm not talking about like Phil Svitek's movie that maybe got a theatrical release. I'm talking about mm-hmm. like still blockbuster movies. I mean, over 70 million on that one single day alone. Yeah. And I know, mm-hmm. I, know movie, I know movie theaters were scrambling to redo their entire, uh, you know, there's a Fandango records of pre-sales and so forth. But even on the actual days, movie theaters were scrambling to get more screens, more screens. <laughs> if you see, um, and there's pictures of it uh, online, but Arclight, it was just Black Panther, Black Panther, Black Panther, Black Panther. It's like 915 Black Panther, 930 Black Panther, 945 Black Panther. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, they, they did that. They definitely did. And they were, if not all of the the showings were filled, they were enough for them to keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, uh when you when you think about it, they they knew they knew their audience. They knew who would want to come see this. I'm I'm gonna do like a slight comparison with um Proud Mary, which was um I believe that was Sony, Sony Pictures. Uh and the way that they there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of advertising uh, for it or they didn't advertise to the right audience like i went to see that movie to support mm-hmm. and it wasn't a bad movie it it was good I'm, the trailer I, looked good I, i'm surprised you say that cuz um i was looking forward to seeing that movie and i was not aware it came out oh see so i, I had i seen more I'd, i would have gone seen it exactly and it's and the thing of it is is that that movie had enough to it that you could have easily done a sequel with that, but you got to get people in the seats. And it's interesting that they would make a movie and then not really focus on advertising to key audience that would be interested in seeing it. While with Black Panther, they knew, be like, hey, okay, so Marvel people, yes, but let's get more people in that probably have never even seen a Marvel movie, but they are going to love this movie. So then that's why... Hey, the trailer drops, the official trailer drops uh, during the NBA finals. It's like, that is so smart. Um, and it's something that you, you're like, oh, you know what? I think I can, see, I can almost picture who was in the room for like that advertising. And they just kept up with it. They kept up with it. It was, it was a progression. It was gorgeous. And it led to them having these beautiful box office numbers. You, you just have to be smart, have the right people in the room when you're talking about advertising. And so a lot of these comic book type movies tend to at least initially be geared towards men, mm-hmm. uh, certainly from the advertising. And, but this, I, you know, this is more an anecdote, so I'd, I'd have to find more stats. But I know a lot of women did love this movie. I just don't know the exact percentage. A lot of... Uh, the women that I knew, they were looking forward to this movie, unlike any other 
you know, you tell them a comic book movie, like, eh, not interested. But mm-hmm. this movie, boom, had to go. Yeah. Well, uh, the Dora Milaje. I mean, imagine. Uh, well, we had Wonder Woman, and Wonder Woman was great. And then we have the Dora Milaje, and they're fully actualized characters of different types. You have a scientist type, you have a general, you have a Wakandan spy, and so on and so forth. We have a queen who's also wise consul. Uh, it's gorgeous, but not sexualized. Exactly. And let's talk about um, functional footwear. It's like, and then actually the way that the fight scenes were filmed, and I love Rachel Morrison for this, they were filmed like actual fight scenes should be. There weren't, you know, shots up the butt <laughs> that you that you will see like upskirt shots for all of a sudden there's a female on the, you know, on the battleground. We need this shot. We need this boob shot. And once you, I think people are, they don't realize that that, happens but when you watch black panther and you watch um the dora milaje fighting like that civil war scene where it's like between okoye wakabi and then with eric killmonger there that's how you film a fight scene because we want to see the action we want to see them wearing functional footwear (laughs) And, and you know not things that are pointing in places that doesn't make any sense to have something pointing there and also, to for for my money's worth, I'm talking about breastplates and <laughs> and, uh, and boobs for anybody that you know wasn't for getting iTunes. the reference. Yeah, uh, for my money, I, I also appreciate that I got to see the action. Too often times, a lot of action movies they just cut to so many close ups of just like a fist and then this and a face, and I'm just like, okay. I'm going to tune out for the next five minutes. I kind of know where this is going, but I'm so lost in the shots. They're so quick, and I don't know what's going on. Whereas this, we stepped back a little bit, and we saw what was in the frame, literally. Yeah. No, um, these uh, actresses and actors went for it. There was a boot camp. They learned these moves. Um, Actually, Marvel Movie News, we're going to have one of the stunt women uh, next week. That's going to, yeah, on the 27th, where she's going to come in and she's going to tell us some behind the scenes of doing, you know, in a Marvel movie. And then also being a Dora Milaje. She was uh, the lead stunt woman for uh, Deny um, for for Black Panther. And, yeah, I I talked to Lapita Nuango and she was like, at the beginning, I didn't think that I would be able to do any of this. And then by the end... It was so seamless for me. I'm paraphrasing what she said. But yeah, they went there and they did that. And then, uh, for instance, like the the casino scene, to talk about that real quick, there are maybe two very well hidden edits um, during the casino scene once it becomes the fight scene. And otherwise in that, it's the fighting style of Black Panther is iconic with the way that they do that. And when you see the Dora Milaje and how they fight, uh, well, with Okoye and Nakia. And Nakia, at one point, takes off her shoe and uses the heel as a weapon to knock somebody around her. And then, like, later on, when they're in the car chase scene, she doesn't have any shoes. Why? Because she uses them as weapons. It's like, it's things like this that make a difference. Oh, and by, you know, the fun fact, uh, I think it was three out of five uh, Wakandians didn't actually wear shoes, and that was a very purposeful nice. uh, costuming decision. Nice, which is uh, very interesting. Indeed. I like that. <laughs> um, let's 
Let's talk about one of the things that you even started talking about before we went on air and I find absolutely fascinating is the GoFundMe campaign. Ah, um, yeah. And, um, you know, I did enough research, but uh, you just, even before I prompted you off air, you just <laughs> got right into it. So I want to give you the chance to kind of talk about it and, and uh, what it is and what it means. Yeah, yeah. I actually had a chance to talk to um, Chadwick uh, Bozeman and Ryan Kugler about it, too, uh, because it was uh, Frederick Joseph. Uh, he started a GoFundMe to have um, kids from the Boys and Girls Club of Harlem to be able to go see the movie. Um, I, I don't think a lot of people understand how much of a luxury it could be to go to the movie, like um, with like ticket prices uh, being what they are and, and then just um, areas that you come from or yeah, that you're currently city, living like, in. I mean, in L.A., it's 17 bucks on At average. Least that's before tax, <laughs> depending yeah. on where you go. Um, and, you know, when people have one kid or two kids or three kids or, or whatnot, and then, you know, them themselves and their uh, significant other and so on and so forth. I mean, it adds up and that's not even putting in snacks and everything like that. Uh, Frederick Joseph saw that Black Panther was so incredibly important because of the representation aspect of it, of being able at a young age to see yourself on screen, to see yourself as Shuri or as T'Challa, as Okoye, um, as Eric Killmonger, <laughs> uh, you know, and so on and so forth, that he he started the, you know, that GoFundMe for that. He ended up raising, I believe it was uh, 36000 36 or 37000 for that singular one. And then after that, he set up um, hashtag Black Panther Challenge. And with that, he basically put it out there on Twitter. It was like, kids should see this movie. I challenge you to raise your own funds in your own communities. Let's have this happen. And starting from that, at this point, um, and it might even be more by the time uh People are listening to this, but I read that it was um, $620,000 had been raised thus far with the Black Panther Challenge. And uh, celebrities have gotten involved um, with this. You know, uh, Brie Larson um, started a thread on her Twitter where it's like, I know that there are people out there that want to help other people go see Black Panther. Um, you know, high schools, churches, you know, just communities in general. It's like, I'm going to start this thread if you want to help you know, post on here that you can help. And if you need help, post on here that you need help. And I've seen uh, videos of uh, of people that connected with that and were able to go to see Black Panther. It's it's so inspiring. It's It became a movement. And it still is. And by the way, uh, to those of you listening, if you are lucky enough to be one of the people that, that gets to see movies regularly, which our audience generally tends to be, um, consider, consider doing this, you know, um, you know, as much as I want you guys to see a second and a third time, (laughs) that's great. But you know what, if you've seen it once, you know what, consider, consider helping other people to see at least once. Yeah. Consider gifting it because uh, think about it. You might be inspiring the next Ryan Coogler. You might be inspiring the next deny, uh, to be the person that's on screen, to be the person that's behind the camera, how are they going to know if they don't see it? How are they going to know if we don't tell them it's okay and we support you? And, you know, this planet isn't ours. We're kind of holding it on loan for the people that are coming up behind us. 
Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, as a general consensus, the Rotten Tomatoes, 97 score, far better than, uh, you know, whether Iron Man or even Dark Knight, like (laughs) the pinnacle of, like, good superhero movies, those only have a 94. So this... Three points higher, not too shabby. Yeah, not at all. That's a it's a very very big uh, difference there yeah. for uh, for the scores, definitely. And an A, a plus, I, w- I I would have been surprised to hear anything besides that, but an A plus on cinema score. So that's wow. when you talk about that. Um, <laughs> obviously, great word of mouth. I mean, <laughs> don't get higher than that. Let's just say, <laughs> simply put. Uh, so fantastic overall, and uh, no doubt, uh, I. You know, there's already talks of more um, Feige himself. There are many, many stories to tell on this character. So um, it just remains whether Coogler or not will we'll return for a sequel. If not, I think that's okay. Yeah. As long as, you know, there's somebody else that can do it justice. Yeah, I think uh, he's set an amazing um, pace. You know, he really has um, with Black Panther. It has actually, I mean... I'm a I'm a big Marvel head, you know. I'm a Mary Marvelite, and but I didn't realize how much watching Black Panther would revitalize me for Infinity War. It's like it's after coming out of Black Panther, you know. One of uh, uh, Koi Jandro, who's uh, my co-host on on there, he uh, me and him, and I'm like, oh, I can't wait for Infinity War. <laughs> Among among everything else, because it's like not only do we get to bring back this character uh, T'Challa, not only is it going to be going, you know, Wakanda versus Outriders versus Cole Obsidian versus Thanos, but it's it's because because of this movie, it refreshes everything for you. Where it's mm-hmm. like it's like oh yeah, we get Jessica Jones soon. Like well, I believe we have that in March, March eighth. Like oh yeah. We've got Captain Marvel coming out in 2019. You know, even even hey, Dark Phoenix is coming out in uh, I believe it's October. I might be confusing that with Venom. Venom's October. I forget the um, the release of Dark Phoenix, but even that, which is you know that's different property. But I love yeah. good X Men movies, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. So sure. they've got Jessica Chastain. So yeah. I mean, I, I love these scores. The thing that's going to be really fun is that the people that don't normally go to Marvel movies, they're going to go to Infinity War and be like, what is this? And then they'll have to rewatch everything <laughs> up to that point. Well, they, so far they've done a decent job where mm. it's, although it all builds on itself, you don't have to, I feel like, because I try to watch them from that perspective of, okay, could I understand this if I didn't see anything prior to this? Yeah. Well, I saw Civil War when I hadn't seen Ant-Man and I got it. You know, I just kind of skipped over that one a little bit and then I revisited it. Yeah. But um, yeah, it actually follows what um, Marvel Comics does. Like every time you pick up a Marvel comic, you should be able to just enjoy it and not be like, oh, I, I guess I'll pick up the rest of the series sometime. So I know what's going on with this character, or who this character is or what their power is. Now, when you open a Marvel comic, it's like, ooh, Nightcrawler. All right, that's who he is. Oh, th- there's his power set, and then so on and so forth. You go down the rabbit hole, as they say. <laughs> All right. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Uh, I mean, uh, it would be me <laughs> repeating what I said at the very beginning. Sure. Uh, that I, I feel like this is a one of those huge cultural events. You know, um, it is a movement. Um, people have said that this is what they want. 
they want more of it and they want to share this with others. I, I do liken it to Star Wars when it first came out. And it feels good to be a part of something so huge that's huge and positive. So anybody who's like, oh, it's just a movie. Oh, what do you do? It's just a movie. I mean, like, if it was, you know, just a movie, do you, why would you bother watching any movies? You know, do you have movies in your house? Do you feel a certain way and then you feel like a certain movie and then you take it down? Like if you're feeling like, oh, I want to laugh at me just being silly me. Oh, Bridget Jones Diary. I'm going to laugh at being silly me while I'm watching that. You know, oh, I feel horribly sick and I, I just need something to pick me up. Um, the Man That Knew Too Little with uh, Bill Murray. Everybody has movies that make them feel a certain way. So don't make it smaller for somebody else by saying it's just a movie. Because it's not. It's a feeling. It's a theme. In this case, it's a revolution. Well, what I'm very hopeful about is I think there's been plenty of opportunities for Hollywood and otherwise to sort of learn a lesson of, okay, like how, how many times is it going to take another Fast and the Furious movie to, to, to realize, oh, a diverse cast is is probably good for the movie <laughs> and you know all, all these other things and especially i'm encouraged by the me too movement and time's up mm-hmm. that I, I feel like now things will finally start sticking because people aren't going to put up with anything less and so i'm encouraged by that i like that optimism but i like that indeed <laughs> here here's what it really comes down to and it's testament to the movie is that none of it works if the movie doesn't work mm. and so you know you could put as much faith you want into a movie, but if it's not good, it, it's unfortunately not good. This is not the case. It's, you know, it didn't try to be all, all the things that, that it, it, it's doing culturally is a byproduct of saying, hey, we want to make a great movie. I don't yeah. think none of it started of like, okay, great. We need to inspire black youth and X, Y, and Z. Like, no, we want to honor it and tell a good movie. Mm-hmm. And the byproduct is that. So let that be a lesson. <laughs> well. It's like, yeah, you, you can do both. I, I do look forward to a time when we can have um, inclusion where it's not where it has to be thought of all the time where you can you can have a bad movie that has POCs in it and it's just like yeah. oh it's just it's just you know it that just happened yeah. it's like that's fine where um because uh it's a really interesting trend that Hollywood has for fictional characters like that don't exist in reality in any way shape or form but apparently the default uh is white where it's like i mean for me personally i for elves i always picture them as um you know native americans <laughs> when i was uh when i was a kid like reading you know even though they would have the description i'm like no they're like first nation so they're they're native american that's me and you know why not why is it that you know it does predominantly one race for all fictional characters they're fictional characters if anything hollywood needs to stop leaving so much money on the table and you know box office numbers don't lie get out um, you know, with Black Panther, what's going to be with a wrinkle in time? Stop leaving money on the table. Pick up those dollars. <laughs> yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. So thank you guys for joining us um, yet again. I do encourage you guys to comment. There's so much that we could have gotten into and talked about both from the cultural perspective, both from the story perspective. But uh, you know, time is as such as it may be. So uh, that's why we love conversing with you guys and happy to talk about anything that we may have 
missed or may have not spoken as in depth as you would have liked, uh, just let us know. Happy to do so. In the meantime, of course, you can catch Marquia on Marvel Movie News and mm-hmm. AfterBuzz TV's Monday Night Raw. But for more specifically, how can they interact with you? Uh, yes, Twitter and Instagram at Markeia McCarty. And that's M A R K E I A M C C A R T Y. Um, I have a number of um, interviews um, up on Nerdus uh, with the cast of Black Panther. I encourage you to go ahead and look at that. And uh, this upcoming Tuesday, I will be doing um, Ask Your Black Geek Friend. Um, with Geek and, uh, Geek and Sundry. Yes, with Geek and Sundry. And that will be 9 p.m. That will be live. And it's myself, um, Talison, Phil Lamar will be there along with the Ask Your Black Geek Friend um, crew, which is uh, Damian Portier and I believe B. Walters. So, yeah, tune in then and go ahead and ask me those questions. Lots to look forward to. Well, <laughs> uh, speaking of things to look forward to, uh, a Wrinkle in Time here on Anatomy of Movie. We'll be certainly covering that when it comes out. We're rounding out our Oscar movies before the Oscars come out. We'll have covered them all, so you can check that out. And, uh, spe- you know, we also have, if you love what we did with this conversation, we have plenty of coverage of all the other Marvel movies. So look through our library. It's quite vast. Uh, you can find me at philsvtech.com. And, of course, this is the Popcorn Talk Network. You can follow us there at the Popcorn Talk. Until next time, bye. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of its owners or principals.